So we're beginning at verse 23 in Judges 16, and where we left Samson was his eyes had been gouged out, bound up in prison, and then we had read that his hair started growing back. And then our verses today. This is God's holy and infallible word. Now, the rulers of the Philistines, again, that's Israel's enemy in those days, uh, the enemies of God's people. The rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. Remember, he had killed, Samson had killed uh, a bit over a thousand people by that time. While of the enemy, of the Philistines, that is. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. And so they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me, O God. Please strengthen me just one more time, and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. And then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah his father, and he had led Israel 20 years. That's God's word for us this morning. So we've reached the end of the Samson account in the book of Judges. It was chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16. And I think you'd agree it's been quite a ride. What I want to do is, um, as we begin here, is just review the main events in Samson's life. Um, not that, but just to get them in our heads a little bit. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I, because I've talked to different people, different people talked to me through this series with things like, oh, I didn't realize that. I only thought there was like one woman in the story, Delilah, when there are actually three, right? And there, there's a lot of very interesting details. I'm going to go through this quickly, so don't worry. But there's 22, we started with the angelic announcement of his miraculous birth, and kind of looking back at that, just the high hopes that there were for this guy, and then everything we read since, I mean, he was, 
Yeah, he was announced by an angel. His birth was miraculous. Remember in that first story in, in chapter 13, he was to be a Nazarite set apart for a very special work to point people to God, to point people to heaven. And then we know kind of how it went from there. He likes and later marries a Philistine woman, that woman from Timnah, you might remember. He tears apart a lion and then a bit later scoops honey from the carcass. Remember that riddle and bet with the 30 groomsmen at his wedding celebration? His wife betrays him. They get her to tell them the answer to the riddle. To settle the bet, he kills 30 Philistines, takes their clothes, gives it to the 30 groomsmen. That was the winning bet. Uh, Then uh, 300 foxes' tails are tied in pairs. He torches them and destroys the Philistines' harvest in that way. The Philistines burn his wife and her father as revenge. In revenge for that, Samson kills many Philistines. God's people, remember it was the people of the tribe of Judah. That was the most special tribe, the tribe that Jesus was going to come from. But they were so used to living under the enemy that they didn't recognize Samson as the deliverer that he was. So God's own people capture their own guy, Samson, and deliver him to the enemy. Uh, As the Philistines shout, with gladness that they finally got this guy, uh, the ropes he's bound with melt, and then he takes a donkey's jawbone, kills a thousand of them. Samson cries out to God in his weakness, and God supplies water. He visits then a prostitute in Gaza, one of the Philistine towns. He leaves in the night with the city gate on his shoulders, He walks 40 miles and tosses the gate on a hill at Hebron in Israel. He falls in love with Delilah. The Philistine rulers bribe Delilah to find the secret of his great strength. Samson lies three times to Delilah before finally telling the truth. Cut my hair and I'll be like other men. She does that. They capture him. He's a bit surprised that he doesn't have strength anymore. We read that the Lord had finally left him. His eyes were gouged out, um, and he was put in prison. And we explored in the sermons the, the theological, biblical, practical significance of all these events, right? And where we left it last time was Samson in prison, but his hair starting to grow back. And, and surprisingly, I mean, if, if they cut off his hair, they realized that was to the, the secret to his great strength. So it's a little bit surprising that they weren't concerned about this. Like, we got to keep his head shaved, guys, is what I would think they would do. But maybe they figured because he's blind, he can't do anything bad anymore to them. But for us, remember, we thought that that hair growing back was maybe a sneak preview that things weren't over for Samson, right? And and sure enough, we've got this additional episode, uh, which is about Samson's last breath. 
It's about Samson's death. Things had been getting darker and darker, and now, really, this is the darkest scene of all. Uh, the Philistines are having a Thanksgiving service, right? A little different than our Thanksgiving service is going to be later this year. A, a Thanksgiving service in the temple of Dagon. And really, what this is giving us is a picture of hell. It's a picture of hell. The enemies of God's people are singing a hymn of praise to Dagon for delivering Samson into their hands. And Samson's brought out for entertainment. I'm not sure what that means. I don't think anyone does that he performed for them. I don't know if it was, we don't know. He's bound, he's blind, they had gouged out his eyes, they're mocking him, they're mocking God ultimately, who they think Dagon has defeated in order that, because they have Samson now. The Philistine god Dagon was almost for sure, like most of the gods in and around Israel, a fertility god. And worship of fertility gods usually included human sacrifice and prostitution. And so we could assume, along with whatever else we're reading, that stuff is going on at this Thanksgiving service too. But we've seen all along these silver linings, right? Even in these very dark times, as this devilish dark spectacle moves forward, we suspect that Samson's hair growing back in prison was a sign, right, that he was finally humbled and finally repentant about all his disobedience to the Lord, the womanizing, the cozying up to the world, breaking all those Nazarite vows. And I think we have very good reason to believe that that's what actually happened that Samson did finally turn to the Lord. Hebrews 11 in the New Testament, that's a great chapter about faith that mentions all these heroes of the faith uh, throughout the Old Testament, name after name. And Samson is included among the heroes of faith, which up to this point, up to today, that really makes us scratch our heads. But here at the end of his life, we finally see why. He prays to the Lord, and obviously there seems to be a selfishness to the prayer, you know, in revenge for my eyes, but to pray, remember me, O sovereign Lord, remember me, would indicate that this was a true faith. And this was actually a sincere prayer. Remember me is a very key little phrase that comes up in the Bible often. It's the prayer of someone who knows and understands God's covenant. We read often in the Bible that God remembers his people. And based on the covenant relationship that God initiates with us as people, and based on God's promises, not on because of our own greatness or righteousness or lack of it, people say, remember me, O God. You got it in Psalm 25, Psalm 63, 74. Habakkuk 3.2 is a really striking example of that, if you want to check that out sometime. 
And so Samson finally gets it at the very end. And before this, every breath was for himself. And it was not for the Lord. It was not for God's people. There's a humility here we haven't seen before. He asks for strength for the very first time instead of assuming he has it. And then he sacrifices himself, right? It's an imperfect sacrifice from a a very imperfect man. And his prayer of faith is even imperfect, like each one of ours is, by the way. But God graciously receives it. And there's even grace, did you catch it, in his burial. He's not, his body wasn't left in that rubble among the godless devils. But it was back, buried back in Israel with his family among God's people. Probably Samson's uh, family members was a, were able to retrieve his body because of the confusion. I mean, this was a huge disaster, these thousands of people, plus all the rulers of the Philistines. It'd be like if the whole administration were killed in one disaster. So I'm sure they could get in and out because they were totally confused, the Philistines. Have you ever imagined what that... Um, that sacrifice, you probably have with the pillars and so forth, but imagine once with me what that would have looked like, right? He's placed between the pillars, and he puts his right hand on one, his left hand on the other, and pushes. Have you ever thought that that would look like another sacrifice, a perfect one that would be coming Samson's sacrifice points us to the sacrifice of Christ, right? Even without that picture. But it points us to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and Jesus' last breath. Samson's sacrifice wasn't enough. He doesn't even, he kills a bunch of these guys, but he doesn't finish off the the enemy of God's people. It would take the second king of Israel, David, later in history to finally rid the land of the Philistines. But even then, as the Old Testament goes on, more and more enemies keep coming to try to do away with God's people. It would take Jesus coming, his sacrificial death on the cross, for there to be victory once and for all over all the enemies of God and his people. And the Bible teaches us that every breath Christ took was to serve his Father God and to serve his people. And we know what he got in response for that selfless life. At Jesus' last breath, he was forgotten. He was not remembered. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, was his cry. And he willingly went through all that so that God would remember us. He'd be arrested, bound, betrayed, mocked, put on trial, tortured, denied, nailed to a cross, abandoned by all his friends, all the disciples left them, plus abandoned by God to pay the penalty of our sins, all so that God would never abandon us. We could never earn God's favor, but he could, and he did, the spotless lamb of God. By being forsaken by God, Jesus experienced hell. That's what hell is. 
God, the abandonment by God's presence. At Jesus' last breath, as he hung on the cross, you can imagine, you can picture Satan's victory party, right? All the demons of the universe would have been shouting and dancing up and down with total glee. They finally got rid of him. Or so they thought. But we know that when Jesus said the words, it is finished, Satan was actually finished. And Jesus accomplished true victory for God's people eternally. And then three days later came Easter morning, which let the world know that Jesus triumphed over sin and death and Satan. And so Jesus' last breath resulted in a perfect, eternal victory. Samson's last breath, Jesus' last breath. What about your last breath? Samson prayed that God would remember him. And, you know, so did a thief on the cross, a a cross crucified next to Jesus. And when he said, remember me to Jesus, the grace of God shone through in Jesus' response. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. That thief in the last moments of his life, can you imagine how profoundly joyful and grateful he would have been that Jesus received him after the life that he had lived? And how awesome is it that God could save someone on their deathbed? And it sure makes it crystal clear that it's all about grace, doesn't it? You can live your whole life apart from God, but despite what you've done, and whenever you repent, even if it's at the very end, like the thief and like Samson, if you turn to him, he will receive you. I saw a wonderful movie recently about Fred Rogers, and he directed, uh, he wrote, he was the, the star, I guess if you want to call it that, of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood for many, many years, and it was Watching TV shows, it was watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was one of my very, very first memories. Well, the documentary, it's called Won't You Be My Neighbor. It's a really fascinating behind-the-scenes look at his life, his goals for that program, his desire to provide a wholesome TV show that respected kids and treated them with dignity. One of the standout points in that movie was near the end, uh, we learned that at the very end of his life, Mr. Rogers asked his wife, do you, do you think I'm a sheep? He was a Presbyterian pastor and knew that the Bible describes God's children as sheep. Those who are not his children are described as goats. And his wife responded to him, Fred, if anyone was a sheep, you are. Now, I don't know, you know, you never, I don't know how much of the filmmaker's worldview is coming through there, and I certainly don't know what was in Mr. Rogers' heart, but I do know a lot of people have that view. If anyone's going to heaven, it's based on them being a good person, 
But that's not it at all. At all. Doing a lot of good in the world like Mr. Rogers did would not be grounds for him being a sheep or a goat. That does not determine whether we go to heaven or not. If it were up to us and our good works, we fall, fall short, far short. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You, me, even the very best people, even Mr. Rogers, only Jesus' sacrifice on the cross can save us. That's how we know that God's going to receive us in glory one day. And so it makes me think, if someone as great and kind and loving as Mr. Rogers would look at their life in the past and question their salvation, what hope is there for you and me? I mean, I know there'd be no hope for me. I'm no Mr. Rogers. I would be such a better man if I had just an ounce of the kindness and the gentleness that it seems like this guy had throughout his whole life. And not just on TV, but with his family. But thank goodness, right, it's not about me. It's not about what I've done or not done, but Jesus. Or I'd have no hope of being a sheep. I've shared this before, but they say some of famous theologian Gresham Machen's last words were, I'm so thankful for the finished work of Jesus Christ. Not, I'm so thankful that I stayed firm and true and biblical in my theology, which he did. Not, I'm so thankful that I founded a wonderful seminary that has trained, that will train many, many pastors like Westminster Seminary, which he also did. And he didn't say at the end, I'm so thankful I was able to start a biblically solid denomination. <clears throat> I got to... He didn't... Um, he also didn't say at the end of his life, just at his last breath, I'm so thankful for this great, biblical, solid, conservative foundation church, that Orthodox Presbyterian church that I founded that would bless so many people. None of that, and none of many other things I'm sure he could have said about his life. He said, I'm so thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus. That's where we find comfort at our last breath. That was the comfort the thief on the cross received. But now you've, you've got to think, <clears throat> and I'm, this is what I'm thinking, as thankful as that thief would have been for God's grace, even for him, don't you think there would have been some sense of Boy, if I had to live my life over again, I would have turned to Jesus and to the Lord much earlier. Instead of wasting so many years apart from God, apart from his people, I just wonder if he wished, as thankful as he was, and he was looking towards heaven, but I wonder if he wished that he had used what strength and breath and life he had been given 
for the Lord and for his kingdom all along. What about you? Is it going to take until your final breath to get it? It doesn't have to be that way. Jesus sacrificed himself for you. You don't need to live with regret. You don't have to muddle your way through most of your life like poor Samson did. Though our every inclination is tainted with sin, and as the Bible says, even our best works are like filthy rags, yet our sins can be forgiven because of Jesus. And when we call out to him, realizing our need, he responds, and the Spirit of God breathes into us new inclinations and strength to live every breath in gratitude to our great God and Savior. That's the life you want. And of course, every breath lived for him goes beyond a personal relationship with him, as central and foundational and necessary as it is. But we know that all life belongs to the Lord, starting from when God breathed into Adam at the beginning, when mankind was created in his image. And so wherever we are, whoever we're with, whatever we're doing, the Spirit fills us with ability to love God and to love others. So friends, there's no need to delay. You don't want to delay. Pray, oh God, remember even me. And then with the Holy Spirit's power, you can remember him and what he's done with your every breath, giving him glory forever. Let's pray. Oh God, we pray, uh, each one of us in our hearts, that you would remember us. Remember us, uh, receive us. We acknowledge our, our weakness, our, our, our lack of ability to reach you, to love you. We're so thankful that um, you yet receive us because of Jesus and what he's done, how he made things right, and how when we say, oh Lord, remember me for Jesus' sake, how you, O oh God, look at his life, his sacrifice, and apply that to us by your grace. We're so thankful for that. And, O oh God, help us uh, to uh, not, not wait till the end, though we're so thankful that you're so gracious that even at the end, um, people can turn to you. But, Lord, for those of us who have heard your good news and, and know the, the way of, of joy and and life. Um, help us not, not to waste a, a, a single additional moment and uh, to live our every breath for you. Oh God, to you be the glory alone, we pray. Amen.